0: Thanks, you guys. Thank you, Chris. Hey, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you, in case I forget. I'll say it again next weekend, but Merry Christmas. You know, I said this last night at our service, that um, no, no greater house, no greater house has ever been built than the house of God. No greater house has ever been built than the house of our God. No greater book has ever been written than God's word to us, his love letter to us. And no greater name has ever been uttered off our lips than the name of Jesus Christ. It'll never happen. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's what we celebrate this Christmas season, is the birth of our savior who loves us so much. We're so grateful. I really missed you guys last weekend. I, I preached two weekends ago. Pastor Rob did a marvelous job last weekend. After I preached two weekends ago, I left on Tuesday for Texas. It was a long trip. I was there nine days, and I had a lot of work to do. Many of you are praying, and I just want to say thank you. The Lord's starting to show us some, some favor. We um, had a lot of different leads for a pastor there, just through different pastors that I met there, and just nothing was working out. We're like, all right, I guess we're gonna have to post it on uh, this thing called churchstaffing.com, and just thinking that's, that's how, how's that going to work? And it's just been amazing. I've uh, had about 75 uh, candidates apply um, for this thing in, in Heath, Texas, this church plant in Heath, Texas. And, and so it's just, yeah, six or seven days in a row, of just from morning till night going through them. And I'm all over Texas meeting people, some out of state. And it's just, it's just crazy. But um, the Lord has about five men and their wives and their children that are uh, going through the process so we can see uh, who the Lord would have to, to pastor that church. And... Um, the good news is I don't have to go back until like the end of January. I'm, I, really, I really miss my family, um, my own family. I miss you guys, my church family when I'm gone. And this was a, a especially a, um, a, a trying trip. It was great, but it was just hard. Uh, just a lot of time. Um, but I felt you guys' prayers. You can just see your prayers in action as I was uh, just kind of moving all around the place. Uh, meeting with people and meeting their wives and their kids and... And making phone calls, it was just, it was hectic and crazy, but it was awesome. It was just amazing. All that to say is I'm really happy to see you guys. I'm really happy to see you. I know many of us read, have, have already read the entire book of Nehemiah. If, if, um, if you haven't done that, it's never too late to read all 13 chapters in one sitting. But I'd, I'd like to know, who had a chance to read chapter 3 this week? 32 verses of chapter 3. So a number of you. Was that fun? Reading chapter 3? It's an interesting chapter. I've got to tell you, in the two and a half years I've been doing this, since Pastor John retired, this is probably my favorite passage that I've ever prepared. And when we're going to read it together. If you didn't read it during the week, we're going to read all 32 verses together. And when I'm done reading, when we're done reading, you're going to think I'm absolutely crazy for saying that this has been one of my favorite passages to prepare. It's, it's um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Open up your Bibles. To Nehemiah, and we're going to read that in a second. It is so good to be here. So good to be doing this, man. I love doing this with you guys. Let me open with this while you guys are fingering your way through to get to Nehemiah chapter 3. Henry Ford has a mansion. I don't know if you know that. Henry Ford's passed away, the automaker Henry Ford. His mansion is called Fairlane. And it still stands in Dearborn, Michigan, as a master example of man's inventiveness. For its location, he chose the beauty of a gentle slope overlooking the meandering River Rouge. In this mansion, there's 55 rooms that spread over three floors for a total of 31,000 square feet. There's eight fireplaces, one of marble 13 feet high, and it stood ready to warm the inhabitants. There were 550 switches provi- that provided light to this mansion. That's almost as much as with the square footage of my little townhome. As crazy as that sounds. The impression throughout is still that of a magnificent design, exquisite taste, and perfect workmanship. The house to build, the cost to build that house, 100 years ago exactly, it was built in, uh, what would that be, 1917. Back then, the cost was $1,057,000, a hundred years ago. Henry Ford's ingenuity even reached to the power supply. Determined to be independent of public utilities, he built his own power plant at a cost of $200,000, using finely machined turbines to feed electricity to the entire estate with enough extra to sell to the public utilities in case there was an emergency. I love people like that, man. However, when torrential rains lashed the Detroit area in April of 1947, the River Rouge went on a rampage and soon it crept into the furnace under the boilers and it smothered the fire, causing steam pressure to fall. And the turbines stopped and the electricity failed for the only time in the 30 years up to that point. Paradoxically, paradoxically, that was the night that Henry Ford lay dying in his bedroom. Though surrounded by an engineering marvel, he left the world as he had entered it 87 years earlier in a cold house lighted by candles. Here's the good news. You and I, see, we can leave the world unlike how we entered it. We entered it as a fallen Person, fallen people as sinners and we can leave this world as righteous and holy and blameless because of the blood of Christ over our lives that's what we celebrate this holiday season this Christmas season See, no worldly house can ever transform someone on the inside but the Lord's house can and does and each and every one of you are living proof of that reality Henry Ford had a nice home no, no nicer home than the house of God. No home that can transform lives like the house of God. Amen? Turn to Nehemiah 3 if you're not already there. I'm so excited about Nehemiah chapter 3. I can hardly take it. <clears throat> you ready? 32 verses of pure bliss. <laughs> I, I want to read this because I'll explain later. I just want it to sink in, every verse to sink in. And you'll get what I'm saying when we're done. Then Eliashib, the high priest, he arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. And they consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakkaz made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshe- Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Banna, also made repairs. And moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. And Joidah, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Melatiah the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Moronophite, the men of Gibeon and of Mitzbah, also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. And next to him, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, of the perfumers, made repairs, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, the official of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. And next to them, Jediah, the son of uh, Hermoth, made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Haddish, the son of Hashibniah, made repairs. Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashib, the son of Pehath-Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of Furnaces. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, the official of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. He and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate, and they built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuse gate. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth-Hakarim, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Shalom, the son of Kolhohez, the official of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars, and the wall of the pool of Shelah, and the king's garden as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, official, of official of the half-district of Bethzur, made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David, and as far as the artificial pool in the house of the mighty men. And after him, the Levites carried out repairs under Rehum, the son of Bani. next to him, Hashabiah, the official of the half-district of Keilah, carried out repairs for his district. And after him, their brothers carried out repairs under bavai the son of Henadad, official of the other half of the district of Keilah. And next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the official of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the angle. And after him, Baruch, the son of Zabai zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And after him, Mermoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hachas, repaired another section from the doorway of Eliashib's house, even as far as the end of his house. After him, the priests, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. And after them, Benjamin and Hashab carried out repairs in front of their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, carried out repairs besides his house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah as far as the angle and as far as the corner. Pallal, the son of Uzai, made repairs in front of the angle and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king, which is by the court of the garden, And after him, Padiah, the son of Perish, made repairs. The temple servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. After them, the Tekawites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests carried out repairs, each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shemiah, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah and Hanan, the son, the sixth son of Zaleph, repaired another section. And after him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants in front of the inspection gate and as far as the upper room of the corner. Between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. I ask you this simple question. When we just read that, was it was it boring or was it telling was that boring or was it telling because 2 Timothy 3:16 says that all scripture is god-breathed and inspired god, by god and profitable for teaching for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness and so if we read stuff like that and it's boring go back and read it again until it becomes telling Read, it, read everything again until it becomes telling. Scripture is not boring. It must always be telling. It always is telling us something. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. There's so much in there, and I can't wait to unpack that with you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bow our hearts before you. We bow our lives before you because we recognize that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you have breathed Scripture to us. And it's telling to us. And so, Father, we pray that we would open up our hearts and our minds to be told by you, Lord, what you would have us to hear, that you would have your way with us this morning, this afternoon, this week, the rest of this month, and certainly, Lord, next year, that we would live differently because your truth has just poured into our lives. And so we open up to you, Father, and pray that you have your way with us this morning. It's in the mighty name of Christ we pray it and everybody said, Amen. Here's our takeaways for today. Three takeaways. Church, sin brings destruction. Sin brings destruction. All 32 of those verses, things were being rebuilt or repaired or restored because things were broken because of sin. Sin destroys things. I've never met anybody who hasn't had sin that didn't destroy something. Sin destroys things. All sin destroys all the time. It's just true. And for some reason, God uses us to bring Reconstruction in people's lives. He uses the church, us, broken people who God is restoring us so that we can restore one another. He uses the church to bring reconstruction in lives that have been destroyed by sin. He uses us. I, I don't understand how that works or why that works. It's just, that's just the deal. That's just how it goes. And so we're important to one another. The church has such a huge role in bringing reconstruction because of sin that brings destruction. It's just the way it is. But in the midst of that, <laughs> Satan brings obstruction. He doesn't want us to get well. He doesn't want us to be delivered from sin. He hates us. He hates the Lord. He rebels and he wants us to do the same. And so Satan, in the midst of us trying to bring reconstruction to each other's lives and as the Lord brings reconstruction to our lives through one another, Satan is there to try to obstruct any progress that you and I would make. Hmm. Let's look at our first takeaway. Sin brings destruction. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 7. The words of Nehemiah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, while I was in Susa, the capital of Persia, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah, they came and I asked them concerning the Jews my people who had escaped and had survived the captivity, and about Jerusalem, our hometown that we were exiled from. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity, they're in great distress and reproach. And the wall of our city, the Lord's city, is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. It was decimated because of sin. Verse 4, when I heard these words, Nehemiah writes, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I beseech you, O Lord, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying now, day and night, on behalf of my people, your servants. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house we have sinned. And here's how bad it was. He says three different ways. We have acted very corruptly against you. We have not kept your commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances. It's like baseball, right? It's like um, I went O for five. Well, how'd you do on the commandments? Oh yeah, I was O for five. What about the statutes? Yeah, I was O for five on that too. Did you keep any of the ordinances? No, I was O for five on that too. Sin brought destruction. What we just read in Nehemiah 3, all 32 verses, is a picture of mass destruction that took place because of sin. And it's just so good. I don't know if when we were reading through every verse where it's like, oh, I'm kind of wanting this to be over. But it's such a great reminder to live in those 32 verses and to recognize that it was sin that caused that mass destruction. Get this. In the 32 verses that make up chapter 3 of Nehemiah, there's basically the same word that appears numerous times. Did you guys pick up on that one word? Huh? Yes. Repair. It it, it comes under the name built. That's one word, which really means rebuilt. It's built, rebuilt, repair, and restore. Rebuilt, repair, and restore. In fact, those words appear 46 times in our text, in, ver- in chapter 3. Those words, rebuilt, repair, or restore, show up 46 times. <laughs> and it shows up at least once in every verse in Nehemiah chapter 3. Check this out. So I do this a little favor. In all the verses, in verse... I got, I got my own little copy here, so I'll read off of my copy. In verse 1... Built means rebuilt. In verse 2, you see it twice rebuilt and rebuilt. In verse 3, you see that word built or rebuilt. In verse 4 you see three times the word repairs, repairs, repairs. In verse 5 you see repairs. In verse 6 you see repaired. In verse 7 you see repairs. In verse 8 you see it three times. Repairs, repairs and restored. In verse 9, repairs. In verse 10, repairs twice. In verse 11 it says repaired. In verse 12 it says repairs. In verse 13 it says repaired and rebuilt. In verse 14 it says repaired and rebuilt. In verse 15 it says repaired and rebuilt. In verse 16, repairs. In verse 17, repairs. Shows up twice. In verse 18, repairs. In verse 19, repaired. In verse 20, repaired. In verse 21, repaired. In verse 22, repairs. Verse 23, you see it twice. In verse 24, repaired. In verse 25, twice again. In verse 26, you see it. In verse 27, repaired. 28, repairs. 29, you see it twice. In verse 30, you see it twice. In verse 31, repairs. In verse 32, repairs When I saw that, it it just broke my heart. It broke my heart. So much destruction because of sin and so much repairing taking place and restoring taking place because of sin in a nation just broke my heart. Turn a little to your right of Nehemiah. You'll find the book of Psalms. You'll, You'll find the book of Psalms, A little to the right. Look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 4. See, it's not just cool that Jesus came and He's this cute little child. You know, there's, there's destruction in our lives. And Christ came to reconstruct our lives because sin destroys. Verse 1 of Psalm 40, David writes, the psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined to me and He heard my cry. And he brought me up out of the pit of destruction. Sin is the pit of destruction. Out of the miry clay. What did he do? He set my feet upon a rock. And he made my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord, we either trust in the Lord, which leads to restoration, or we trust in ourselves, which leads to sin and which leads to destruction. Verse four says, "How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. He's put his trust in the Lord and not in himself, and he has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood." Mm. Look at also at uh, Psalm fifty-five a little bit further to your right. Go to Psalm fifty-five. You'll see the same type of thought, if you will. Sin bringing destruction. Psalm 55, verses 22 and 23, that we're to cast our burden upon the Lord. Cast our burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. Look at this. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Chapter 3 would never happen if we live righteously. All those repairs, all that brokenness, all that destruction would not take place if we put our faith, hope, and trust in Christ and in the Lord He will never never allow the righteous to be shaken. Never. But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction if they don't put their trust in you. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. In the New Testament, turn to 2 Peter. Tucked in there behind Hebrews, you'll find 2 Peter. Let's look at what 2 Peter says. Chapter two, verses four through six, same type of thought. In the Epistle of Peter, Second Peter chapter two, verses four through six: For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah who was righteous with his family, seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and he, he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes. He did this because he made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. Sin brings destruction. And the only way to be set free from our sin is to put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ and to be obedient to His Word. Has anybody ever heard of an individual named Billy Sunday? Does that ring a bell for anybody? Yeah. Billy Sunday was the next ball player back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he became known as the baseball evangelist. He's known for the quote that many of us have heard, but probably didn't know where it came from, that his quote is, going to a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. Many of us have heard that saying. It comes from Billy Sunday. He said this, Billy Sunday never spared himself nor those he wanted to help in his vigor attack on sin. He thundered against evil from the 1890s through the Great Depression. He preached Christ as the only answer to man's needs until he died in 1935. He said this, he says, I'm against sin, he said. I'll kick it as long as I got a foot, and I'll fight it as long as I got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I got a head, and I'll bite it as long as I got a tooth. When I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it until I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. Is that fantastic? Billy Sunday don't like sin. Imagine how God feels about sin. Sin destroys things, people. We take sin so lightly, and yet it destroys, it just brings destruction. Our second takeaway is that saints bring reconstruction. Saints bring reconstruction. I praise God for each and every one of you that you're part of this reconstruction process in, our, in each other's lives. Look at Nehemiah. Go back to Nehemiah. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 5. And it came about in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes that wine was before him because Nehemiah is his cupbearer. He's got to test his wine to make sure it doesn't have poison. And I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. And I'd never been sad in his presence. And so the king notices this and he says to me, Why is your face sad, Nehemiah, though you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And I was afraid. Because he wants to take off to go rebuild his city. And he doesn't, and the, he doesn't think the king's going to grant him favor because his role is very important to the king. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Like, don't kill me, dude. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? And the king said to me, what would you request? And so I prayed. He prayed for us, so smart I said to the king, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I can help reconstruct it. I want to bring reconstruction to my family, to my people, and to the name of the Lord. As I noted earlier, there were many involved in these repairs. I don't know how, right, all those names that I probably mispronounced, at least two or three of them. Yeah? Okay. A lot of people were involved in these repairs. In Nehemiah chapter 3, our physical body is healthy. Our physical bodies are healthy when each part contributes as it should, right? We understand that, right? Our physical bodies are healthy when each part contributes as it should. And for some of us in this room, certain parts of our body ain't getting that memo, but that's another story. So too, the body of Christ is healthy when each part contributes, It's the same. The body of Christ is healthy when each part contributes to the health of the body. Let me give you another overview of the same 32 verses, and these are going to highlight all the names of people. And the yellow are are, are people or people groups. So you see Eliashib, Zachar, you have men of Jericho, and then the green are vocations you got different people, different people groups. Go ahead and just kind of scroll through those and then just hit each screen for like two seconds and then you can go to the next screen. Look at all these different people. All these different people that are mentioned. you got perfumers and goldsmiths. you got officials of different districts. All these people through all these 32 verses that are restoring and repairing. More officials. Another official. All these people. The high priest... Temple servants, keeper of the east gate, priests, goldsmiths, goldsmiths and merchants. Thank you for doing that. We bring reconstruction to one another. All of us contribute to the reconstruction as saints, as followers of our Lord. To rebuild his name, to rebuild his house, to rebuild one another's lives. We all play a role. Like all those people, from all those different places, with all those different professions, we can all contribute. Look at First Corinthians chapter 12. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 20-26. Many of us know these verses. Always good to revisit. 1 Corinthians 12, 20-26. to 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12, starting at verse 20. Just what we saw in Nehemiah 3. We saw that there are many members, but there's one Jerusalem. There's one house of God. There are many members, but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again to the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And we see that in Nehemiah chapter 3. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And that's what we see in Nehemiah 3. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, verse 26 just kind of reminds me of some of the things I saw come through the prayer list this week in the prayer chain of all the saints that pray for people in this church and people connected to this church. There's just some crazy things happening. Somebody lost a life this week in a freak surf accident. I think they were in their 20s. Somebody was paralyzed in their 30s maybe, right? Paralyzed from the waist down. I mean, it's just... So when one suffers, we suffer. And I see those things and I just, I just cry. And I cry out to God. Turn to Romans a little to your left. You'll see the book of Romans. The same kind of thoughts. Romans 12 verses 4 through 8. Nehemiah 3 is just such a great picture of the Lord's house, of the Lord's work, of our responsibility within it. Romans 12, 4-8 For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. And so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we're members of one another. We so celebrate our individuality, church, and we forget sometimes that we're individually members of one another the way God has it to be. And so since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we all have different gifts that the Lord has given to each of us. He ordains that. He chooses that. Verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of His faith. If service, in His serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, do it li- with, uh, liberally, with liberality. He who leads, do it diligently. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. That's what you see taking place in Nehemiah chapter 3. People, different names and different people groups from different vocations, all contributing to rebuild and reconstruct the Lord's house, the Lord's people, and the Lord's name. (laughs) Nehemiah assigned everyone a specific place to work. Nehemiah assigned everyone a specific place to work. We just saw that when we read chapter 3. And so I ask you, what or where is your specific place to work or serve in God's house? What or where is your specific place to serve in God's house as it relates to Nehemiah chapter 3? In Nehemiah 3... If you look, the, the first words on most of these verses, it says next to, next to, next to, next to. Verse 10, next to. Verse 12, next to. And then it goes to after, verse 16. After him, after him, verse 17. After him, next to him, verse 19. After him, verse 20. After him, and so on and so on. We see a lot of next to and after him in Nehemiah chapter 3. So where, who are you and I serving next to who are you and I serving next to we're all to be serving next to somebody all of us after them somebody else after them somebody else next to them is somebody else and next to them is somebody else who are you and I serving next to if you're not sure come talk to one of the pastors we'll be happy to say where you who you can serve next to you know there's a deep need for the pastoral candy you know, Hershey bar team to be you know built up much bigger I'm just saying Pastor Doug, he would surely love to see the Star Wars ministry with a lot of volunteers in that one. You know, Pastor Rob, he's starting a ministry called Watch My Twin Boys Ministry, but those are just a few of them from the pastors, but feel free to create your own. Anyway, our last takeaway is that Satan brings obstruction. Satan brings obstruction. We must know that. Satan will bring obstruction all the time. In Nehemiah, we're going to look at uh, chapter 2, 7 through 10. Go to Nehemiah chapter 2, 7 through 10. So I said to the king, right, after the king says, why are you sad? So he says, if it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And then give me a letter to Asaph, the, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams and gates for the wall of the city and for the house And the king granted them these letters because the good hand of my God was on me. And then I came to the governors of the provinces. So now he's traveling through back to Judah. And I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me also with officers of the army and horsemen. And then Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, they heard about this and it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So there's already opposition. Go to verses 18 and 19 also of chapter 2. Verses 18 and 19. And so Nehemiah shows up and he tells his people how the hand of his God had been favorable upon him and about the king's words which he had spoken to Nehemiah. And they said in the middle of 18, let us arise and build. And so they put their hands to the good work. God has provided a good direction and they put their hands to a good work. What happens in verse 19? When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem, when they heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And he's like, no, dude. Man, I got letters. I got got wood. I got some army guys. I got some horsemen. And yet opposition came anyway. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and he mocked us. It's interesting to me, incredibly interesting, don't you think that King Artaxerxes shows Nehemiah favor and grants his request? We see that. The king gives Nehemiah letters that he can give to the governors of the provinces beyond the river that allow him to pass through each province on his way back to Judah. The king gives Nehemiah a letter to this guy named Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so that Asaph would provide all this timber for the rebuild project. The king also gives Nehemiah officers of the army and horsemen. And Nehemiah 2 verse 8 says that the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. So the good hand of the king of kings is upon him and the good hand of King Artaxerxes is upon him. Hmm. And so clearly we see the king of kings showing favor to Nehemiah and we see King Artaxerxes showing favor to Nehemiah. And yet, and yet, in spite of a clear sense of direction, he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And in spite of a clear sense of provision, God says, go here, rebuild, and I'll give you all you need. We have a clear sense of opposition. Right? Clear sense of direction, clear sense of provision, and a clear sense of opposition. Church, our journey with the Lord is simply found in this reality. It's just simply found in that reality. We can clearly know the direction. God can clearly give us provision and we will clearly get some opposition. Amen. We get a clear direction from the Lord about something. His provision is abundant and apparent and yet opposition emerges. And so you know what we do? Clearly have direction. We clearly have provision. But opposition arises and so we retreat. We retreat. We rethink. And oftentimes, and this came up for me, we resent. We resent. God, why would you give me a clear direction? Why would you give me a clear provision? And I'm getting all this opposition. And so we, re- we resent the Lord for it. We rethink and we retreat and we're like, why would that happen? And so I encourage you, this is kind of corny, but bear with me. Don't resent. Be resent. Right? Don't resent. Recalibrate and be resent. This I can proclaim to you with the most certainty that the enemy will do whatever he can to stop the Lord's house from being built. The enemy will do whatever he can to stop the Lord's house from being built. The enemy will do whatever he can to stop you from being one of those names on the list that we scrolled through name after name after name after name and people group after people group. The enemy will do whatever he can to prevent your name from being on a list that will be next to somebody who will be next to somebody who will be next to somebody. He'll do whatever he can. The enemy will do whatever he can to keep you from contributing to the rebuild, restoration and repair of the Lord's house, the body of Christ. He'll do whatever he can. So here's what I want you to hear, church. Church. (laughs) the Lord's will isn't marked by a lack of trial. The Lord's will is not marked by a lack of trial. That's what we see in Nehemiah. It is more than likely marked with trial. If you're not experiencing trial in some level, you're probably not in God's will because the enemy is like, they're fine. We don't need to worry about that dude or that girl. So if you're not experiencing opposition, don't celebrate. Panic! right if you're not God's will why would the enemy send troops after you what's the point British humorist Jerome K Jerome I love that name he said this (laughs) he says I love work it fascinates me I can sit and watch it for hours when it comes to the work of the Lord There's no place for spectators or self-appointed advisors and critics, but there's always room for workers. There's always room for workers in the house of God. Always room for workers and that's what Nehemiah 3 shows us. In closing, Nehemiah takes us on a counterclockwise journey on the walls that surrounded Jerusalem. That's what he's doing. He's taking us counterclockwise. Verse 1, there's many gates mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. What's the first gate mentioned in verse 1? What's the gate mentioned in verse 1? Sheep gate. The last verse is verse 32. What's the last gate mentioned in verse 32? The same gate. The sheep gate. Nehemiah 3 starts with the sheep gate and ends with the sheep gate. Animals were brought into the city through this gate, including temple sacrifices. This is the only gate of the ten. There's ten mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. Ten gates. And this is the only one that was consecrated. Consecrated means that it was dedicated to the Lord for a special reason or, or in a special way. This gate speaks of Christ, the sacrificial Lamb of God who died for the sins of mankind because everything begins and ends with Christ. Amen? Nehemiah starts with the sheep gate and he ends because Jesus is what? He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end as Revelation 1 verse 8 tells us. Nehemiah was simply concerned about one thing. One thing he was concerned about. The glory of God. The name of God. The house of God. The people of God. That consumed Nehemiah. Nehemiah 2.17 says, Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. And so I asked, does the concern, or does concern for the Lord's name for His church and for His people? does that concern us, the way it did Nehemiah and all those people that we saw listed, from all those different vocations? Does concern for the Lord's name and for His church and for His people? Does it concern us in the same way? What are we or what can we be doing in some form of service or ministry that brings glory to God? When we think of church, or perhaps when we recall those times when we were looking for a church, do we tend to focus on what it can offer to us or what we can offer to it? A little over two years ago, Pastor John had retired. And we were in the book of Psalms. We did a couple of the Psalms for about four months. And I, uh, one Psalm, I don't remember what Psalm it was, and I preached and I mentioned something about missions. Because we had no, nothing set up for, for, for missions in this church. And, and afterwards, Jill Payne came up. And she was shaking. She goes, I just really feel like God wants me to talk about starting a missions program. I says, he does. That's exactly what he wants you to do. And I knew God would do that because there was a need there. And so she came in saying, what can I offer to the church instead of, because they were fairly new here, instead of coming and saying, what can the church offer to us? So I ask you, if the Lord loves Jerusalem so much, if he loved Jerusalem so much, then why were the walls in ruin and the gates burned? Why were the walls in ruin and the gates burned? Because of sin. Because of sin. It proclaims to the world that God hates sin and must deal with sin because sin brings destruction. It reveals that the Lord loves us so much that He wants to keep us from sinning. That doesn't mean to keep sinning so that He loves you that much more. He can't love you any more than He already does. Because sin will require so much repair Repair, rebuild, restore, repair, rebuild, restore. It's a lot of work to reconstruct the destruction of sin. Let me close with this verse, and while I'm doing that, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. What a great verse for us. Therefore, my beloved, Paul writes, be steadfast, Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Henry Ford had a big house. It was in vanity. He toiled in vain. This is the work that will never be done in vain. Knowing that your toil in the Lord's house will never be in vain when we work for the Lord. That's the only thing that matters. What a great challenge for us. I'm going to pray. And we're going to close with a song and then when that song's over, if you need prayer, our prayer team is here to pray with you and pray over you for anything, big or small, please get prayer. Almighty God, we love You and we thank You for Nehemiah chapter 3. We thank You for the clarity of destruction that comes with sin. We thank You, Lord, that for some reason we don't always understand, Lord, that You choose us saints to bring reconstruction, to bring repair, to bring restoration to one another. And so, Father, I pray that you just continue to articulate to us and help us to understand the ministry that you called us to, that we would understand who we're serving next to, who we're serving next to on our right, who's next to us on our left, who's in front of us and who's behind us. Lord, we are the body of Christ. Lord, may may concern for your name and for your church and for your house consume our lives like never before. It's in the mighty name of Christ we pray. Amen.